0: Thank you, praise team, for ministering to us in song. I was thinking as we were singing this morning, it is a very special thing that you and I have a relationship with the God of the universe, isn't it? Very special thing that we get to sing the songs and the words that we sung this morning. And uh, we praise God for His work by His Holy Spirit in our lives and for illuminating to us the reality of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you had a chance to look at Hebrews 9, uh, it's really going to be a summation of a lot of of our faith. It's going to be a summation of our faith and and of a lot of things that we've already learned um, that Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is better. And so that's why I've entitled that this morning. We've looked at the superiority of Jesus already in verses 1 and 2. We know that Hebrews is about that reality, that Jesus Christ is better than anything. And so I'm hoping that as we look at it this morning and as we read these verses that You walk away from here uh, reminded of that and refreshed in that through these verses that we read about in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 11 through 28. And so we return to the theme that we started in, in the book of Hebrews, that that Christ is superior. Better than what, though? We know based on the audience of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is better than the Old Testament covenant. He's better than the Old Testament sacrificial system that God had revealed to the nation of Israel. The former things, those things were a shadow of the real thing. The whole sacrificial system was a shadow of what Christ was going to do, and we've talked about that before. And as you and I know, shadows are not the real thing, right? They're not the real thing. They're, they're a picture of the real thing. And so if you were to go and, and embark on a, a business venture and build a project, and you were you had this idea of building... Uh, This really big project, you would probably hire an architectural model builder and he would build for you a mini replica of what you're looking at so you have a good picture of what you're doing, right? Similar to like blueprints for a building and uh, you would get these, but you would recognize that those are not the real thing. That's what the Old Testament self, the sacrificial system was. That's what the Old Testament covenant was. It was a small scale model of something much grander, something much more magnificent that God was going to reveal through Jesus. And so Hebrews, and especially in these verses, we're going to see that it was designed to establish the finality and the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything that came before Him. And by doing so, to call men and women to press forward in their relationship with Jesus Christ, Not to fall back and to revert to old ways, but to press on and to press forward. Not reverting to the old covenant. And so for us, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of our lives, the daily challenges, the struggles that we face, there's only one thing that can sustain us. When we suffer, when we don't feel like we have the strength, there's only one thing that sustains us and empowers us to face the temptations that fill our lives and that, give us, that will give us a joy and a peace to satisfy our soul. There's one thing that's going to equip us to make the hard choices that we need to and to meet all of our needs. And that better thing, that one thing, is Jesus Christ. It's the glory of Jesus Christ and who He is. Jesus is better than anything the world could offer you, better than anything to which Satan may try to tempt you with. Jesus is better than that. And this passage that we're going to read this morning and along with the whole book of Hebrews as we've studied, is here to explain in glorious detail how Jesus is better. And so would you read with me Hebrews 9? We're going to read the whole of it um, as we, as we do, uh, go forward this morning, and then I have six things for you that show us that Christ is better. Let's read Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 11, and we're going to go right to the end of the chapter this morning. I invite you to grab a Bible in front of you if you don't have one and and go there as well. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of, of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood." To bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. This is the Word of the Lord. There are six things this morning, all of which I believe we have covered in some regard after going through Leviticus or Hebrews, six things that remind us in this passage that Jesus Christ is better. And so I put references to these, but really you're going to see these come out all the way through. And so if we read a verse or a reference to a verse and you say, well, he didn't have that there. uh, These things really just come out of the whole passage. Uh, But I certainly tried to uh, break them down as we could through the verses. And the first thing we see in verse 11 and 12 and also in 26 is that Jesus was a better priest. When Christ appeared, things changed when Christ showed up. Right, the Old Testament was about to change. The New Covenant is here, and the New Covenant is better. I said, Christ appeared. God's plan of salvation to Israel and to the world is now visible. Where it was once not, God has brought clarity through Jesus Christ, the High Priest, of what God's plan for salvation for the world is. And we read, of all the good things to come, Jesus was the priest of the good things, the new heavenly tabernacle. What does it say in our verses? To give us eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. We're going to come back to that. Jesus' service is His own blood, not the blood of animal sacrifices. The priest, Jesus, was the sacrifice. The sacrificer was the sacrifice. And what does it say in these verses? Once for all. His sacrifice as a priest was sufficient for all people of all time. An incredible thing. Because it stands in such a stark contrast to the Old Testament and to the priests that went before Him as they worked continually. And our text says it secured for us an eternal redemption. Jesus' atonement was a one-time, once-for-all, accepted unconditionally by God the Father for those whom God has called to him. And that really is an incredible thing to think about when you think of the Old Testament covenant and what those that he's writing to in Hebrews here are certainly coming out of. Jesus' ministry as a priest was a better ministry than all those who had previously served, and he came to do something that no other priest could do. They only foreshadowed what Christ was going to do. And so Christ was a better priest. The second thing we see is that Christ is a better sacrifice. In verse 13 and 14 and following again in 23. Why was he a better sacrifice? Because he had, he brought a more he brought a more effective purification. In the Old Testament, the blood sacrifices would clean you Uh, physically, and they would make you ritually pure before God, but when Christ came and sacrificed Himself, He cleansed you and your inner being, right? And Jeff did a wonderful job of sharing with us about that last week on our conscience, and it's going to refer to that as well as we read these verses. The heavenly realities in the tent required a great sacrifice, sorry, the heavenly um, sacrifice or realities, that being us, require a greater sacrifice because they point to a greater reality. Jesus' sacrifice put an end to death, to sin. It defeated it. So that Romans six twenty three says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's sacrifice defeated sin. He dealt with the penalty of sin. His sacrifice was enough to do that. So that those who would place their faith in Him would have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So that our conscience is might be made clean before God forever. Not just until we made another sacrifice, but forever. Because of the sacrifice of Christ. So if animal sacrifices cleaned your flesh, Christ's sacrifice cleans our conscience. And what does it say in our verses? Cleansed from dead works to serve the living God. The dead works are those works that they did, that Israel did, that continually they did and had to offer another sacrifice for. They were dead works because they were never enough. All of our good works are never enough to earn our righteousness before God and to earn grace and favor in God's eyes. They're never enough. They amount to nothing. Apart from Christ, all of our good works, all of our good deeds, they amount to nothing. All of our striving to live up to God's standard is useless without Jesus' sacrifice. You will never clean yourselves up enough to be able to come to God and be accepted by Him. And for the Christian, this is encouraging as we've placed our faith in Christ because no matter how grave a sin you've committed after you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God's love for you does not change. He does not love you any less. No matter how grave a sin it is that you committed, God does not love you less. Nor will God love you more if you're more obedient to Him. Some of us need to remember that when we look out at our fellow Christians and we judge them for the way that they are living, and we maybe know their profession of faith, and yet we think, what are they doing, right? And not, to, not that we can't question anyone's motives, but just to remember that God does not love that person any less because of the sins that they struggle with or the things that they're going through, Right? God loves them as much as He did and enough to send His Son to die for them. But Christ's work on the cross fully cleanses our sin and wipes away our guilt. He was a better sacrifice because He purified us on the inner being, spiritually, not just physically. And the third thing we see is that Jesus Christ was a better mediator in verse 15 and 17. He brought a more effective covenant. And part of the reality of that covenant, which we see in these verses, is that there is an inheritance now for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Who better to be an heir of than God of the universe, right? Who better? Who, who could give you greater gifts than God the Father? Who could give you a greater life, greater joy, greater purpose than God the Father? Nobody. Nobody. And the Bible says we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So you and I are set to inherit spiritual blessings from God the Father, and some of them some of those realities we've already experienced. Read Ephesians 1 for a glorious list of those spiritual blessings that we have to be redeemed, to be called, to be chosen. Remember, as we talk about inheritance here, it draws our minds to a will. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how important wills are to you. Apparently, in as it goes in my family, they're not that important because I have not signed one yet for uh, our family, but uh, it's a work in progress, and um, we have not made a will for our family, for the boys and everything, and yet there's a lot of talk of those, and you know how a will works. You know how important a will can be in dividing up. The, um, the wealth that's inherited or the wealth that is earned by an individual. Someone spends their lives earning, saving, working here on, on earth to build up an inheritance so they can then give to their children, their grandchildren, and those people that write that will, they get to decide what happens with their wealth, all of their things, right down to, you know, their socks, I suppose, if they wanted to, right? But everything gets decided. Where's all my things going to go? And who's going to get them? And they, sometimes a will can cre- create a lot of strife in a family, you know, where, about where those things are going to go. And beneficiaries are assigned, and, and all those things are legally binding. But for us as Christians, See, as you, as as an earthly child, you're not a beneficiary, hopefully, Lord willing, because you earned that right to be that. You're a beneficiary because you were born into that family. And the same reality is for us in Christ. We're not beneficiaries because we've earned it to God the Father. This inheritance is a free gift from a loving benefactor. And it goes to all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. But when, according to the text in Hebrews, does that come into effect? You know when a will comes into effect? When the testator dies. Jesus Christ died. And because of his death, there are benefits that you and I now get to enjoy as benefactors of his will forgiveness, a clear conscience, as we learned about last week, peace, purpose, eternal life in heaven. All of this is impossible apart from the death of Jesus Christ, but it's also all activated by the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus brought, what he brought was a more effective covenant to God's people. In the old covenant, it was, if you obey God, you will receive blessings from God. That's how the old Mosaic covenant was set up. Not so much when Jesus Christ comes and brings the New Testament. The Old Testament was written on stone tablets. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the law and the covenant from God. But the New Covenant is written on our hearts. And so there can only be one response to so great a gift for mankind. To so great an inheritance. And that response is gratitude. Overwhelming gratitude that God would do that for us. It reminds me of the words of... That Isaac Watts wrote in When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. God brought a better, Jesus brought a better covenant. He also brought a better purity because that purity that he brought was more effective in its redemption. It was an eternal redemption, but it was also permanent. As we know, and as we've alluded to many times, the priests served and continually they served and many few times, at least in our verses here, we see once for all, permanent. And what are the heavenly things that, God, that Christ came to purify? Those were us. Those whom God had called, He purified through Jesus Christ. Much has been made of blood in this passage, we see, we see it numerous times, blood comes up. The blood of goats and calves, the blood of Christ comes up. The image of blood in Christianity is an important one. The blood of Jesus specifically, it's central to our faith as Christians. The blood of Jesus, we sang about it this morning, about the blood of Jesus. And what does the Hebrew author say? The first covenant was inaugurated with blood. And he goes on to recount in those verses, following verse 18, the, a story in Exodus 24, when Moses had the law read before the people, right? And they said that they're going to obey the law and, and uh, God goes and he sprinkles, or Moses sorry, goes and sprinkles blood on all of the holy items that they're used in service and all the people and on the book and everything. You know, the covenant was inaugurated with blood just like the new covenant was through the blood of Jesus Christ. All things in the Old Testament were cleansed with blood, or at least as the author in Hebrew says, almost everything. Now, I don't know if you remember Leviticus 5, that was a long time ago, but Leviticus 5, we're talking about the offerings, and one of the things that the text is given by God in Leviticus 5 is for anyone who cannot afford... The normal offering for their sin, the goat or the ram, they were able to bring a pigeon or turtle doves, two of either of those. And if they still could not even afford that, there was an option for them to bring uh, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sacrifice for their sin. There was no blood there, but it was symbolic of the blood that they could not afford to bring. Without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. Have you stopped and thought of the role that blood has played in your salvation this morning? The role that blood has played in your salvation. It means that somebody's life was taken in your place. And so the bloody scenes of the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, they all screamed one thing, that sin is serious, right? Right? That your sin and my sin, Israel, before God, as God's people, it is a serious thing because somebody had to die for that, to redeem that, and to redeem you, to atone for it. Sin is serious because an infinitely holy God cannot dwell with sin, and God cares so much about justice that He hates our sin. It's easy for you and me to come to the end of our day and to get on our knees before the Lord and to pray. And to recount the things that we have done that have been disobedient to God and to ask for forgiveness. It's easy to do that and not have a second thought of the great price that was paid for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. That allows our conscience to be clear before God. And God will not allow even one single sin to go unpunished. And Jesus bore all of that for you and me. This is why the Old Testament covenant had so much blood, to remind the people of the seriousness of sin and the effects of it and what it does to our relationship with God. And so for God to offer eternal redemption to the world for all sins past, present, and future, He had to forsake His Son on the cross. And what did Jesus do? He came and offered himself once for all to put away sin, as the Hebrew author says, to put it away, to deal with the effects of sin and the reality of, sorry, to deal with the effects of sin as in death, and to deal with that. He got rid of the penalty of your sin and mine forever. Jesus is better. He offers a better redemption, a better purity, a more permanent purity before God. Because he's cleansed us by his blood how could Jesus make us clean by sacrificing himself for us the fifth thing we see is that he offered himself um, as in a better holy place and so Christ's sacrifice his role as the priest his role as meter was in was more effective in its location what does the text say Jesus went into heaven not an earthly tabernacle but into heaven itself, where God's full presence dwells. He went into the real holy of holies, where God is, and He took us with Him, and His sacrifice was enough to please a holy God. He didn't just go there, but He took us, and He ushers us, as we read in Hebrews 4, into the presence of God where His cross work allows us to boldly stand. What does it read in Hebrews 4? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can boldly go before the throne of God. It is finished. We're to look no further for something better. Jesus was that better thing. The sacrifices made in the earthly tabernacle could not deal fully and finally with our sin apart from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus went into the presence of God and He cleansed us so that God's Holy Spirit could indwell us. We know what the Bible teaches about it. In Ephesians 2, we see in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus cleansed us so that God could dwell in us and so that he could send his holy spirit to dwell inside of us not the temple but in his people and so Jesus his offering his service was more effective in its location and finally we see in the fall in the last two verses of our text that Jesus offers to us a better hope because it's more effective in bringing final salvation Death is not a cosmic accident. It's a result of God's divine judgment on sin. That's what death is. And death come, life comes after death, rather, for those who have trusted in Christ until the end and who stand firm in their faith. And so Jesus is not coming back to repeat the sacrifice again, as our text says, or even to forgive sin. He's coming back to save, what does the text say? Those who eagerly await him, his return. Sweet and final, salvation is coming. You and I should be longing for the return of Jesus Christ. That should be the cry of our hearts every day. You may be called to endure struggles and toils now. Your life may be difficult, but you can have hope in these and in through that because salvation is coming. How could you ever know that Jesus Christ is better If you've never had to walk through a desert period of your life, a time where maybe you were longing for God's presence, how would you know that Jesus is better? You don't know how good He really is until you need Him. And Jesus is coming to complete our salvation experience. We've not tasted all that there will be just yet. And so the question for us as we read those verses in 27 and 28 is, do I eagerly await the return of Christ? And maybe some of you are saying, well, how do I await eagerly the return of Christ? I'll give you three things this morning. First thing is, don't grow too comfortable with this world. The more that this world feels like home to you, the less you're going to long for your heavenly home with God the Father. The more that this world feels comfortable and like home to you, the less you're going to long for God to return, to save you finally and fully. What does the Bible say? We are strangers and aliens in this world. We need to remember that. First John chapter two says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does, the will of God abides forever. Don't grow too comfortable with this world if you want to long for eagerly the return of Christ. Then put off the deeds of the flesh. Romans 13 says... But put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As long as you love your sin and are comfortable with it, you're not going to long for Jesus to come back and free you from that sin. If you're caught up in sin patterns that you're not letting go, then you're not going to eagerly await the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So put off the deeds of the flesh. And finally, stir your affections for Jesus. When Bailey and I dated long distance, there's many a record of the great love that we had for each other, which apparently stopped after we got married, I guess, because the paper trail kind of stopped. That's maybe more my fault than anyone's, but... We had, a, we, I remember we dated for a, a number of years long distance and there's a lot of notes that we have and we've saved them. And when we were dating, certainly, I don't know about Bailey, but I would go through those sometimes when we didn't see each other for a long time to remind myself of the, the, the love that she has for me, the relationship that we have. Um, and it was an encouraging thing to have that and to go back to that and to see that and to stir my affections once again for her and to be reminded of that. It's similar to that. With Jesus. As we come together, we sing about Him. We sing about His love. We're reminded of His faithfulness this morning, and as we come to church and as we even fellowship with God's people, we read about His love and God's Word for us and the greatness of our God. When we do those things, we're stirring our affections for Christ and for God so that we were, we're eager to await His return. I kind of think of it a little bit like, and maybe if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know what this feeling is like. Um, but when you see that excitement on that child's face after seeing them, after being away for a long time, maybe you've gone on a trip as a mom and dad or as a grandparent, you haven't seen your grandchildren in a long time, and you come back to them and you see the excitement on your grandchild's face when you return. Maybe you know what that is like. I want to be that child that is so excited When Jesus Christ comes back, sitting on the front porch, waiting for my Savior to come back. Are you excited for Jesus to come back? Do you long eagerly for His return? The invitation this morning through this passage is to see Jesus and to see that He is better, to listen to Him, to rest in Him, to trust in Him, and to enjoy Him. Because Jesus is better than anything that the world or the flesh can offer you. He's better than material wealth. Money can buy you nice things and it can take you to nice places. But whoever loves money is always going to want more. They're always going to want to go to that next most exciting place and have that next most exciting thing. You never have enough when you love material wealth. And Jesus is better than material wealth. Jesus is better than relationships. If you're looking for that one relationship that's going to satisfy everything that you're looking for, Jesus is better than that, and you are going to be disappointed because you're not going to find that person, because we as human beings are limited in our finiteness. We can't love unconditionally. We can't say, I will never leave you and forsake you, and that be a a firm reality for sure, no matter what. It can't be a promise that we hold like when Jesus says it. So Jesus is better than relationships, and He's better than comfort and ease. You and I, we're obsessed with doing things the way that they've always been done because that's comfortable, right? And we do that. We sit in the same spots when we come in on Sunday, and we do the, eat the same foods, we have the same rituals and the same habits, right? We go to the same spots because they're comfortable. We focus on how other people's decisions are going to affect us because we want to be comfortable, We want life to be comfortable. We want life to be easy. We don't want to stretch ourselves outside of our comfort zone when we're being asked to do things that's like, I don't know about that, right? We don't want to be stretched like that because that's not comfortable. And Jesus is better than comfort and he's better than ease. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16? That Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer. And in order for that to be true, you have to experience that Jesus is good. When you experience him as good, then you'll have the strength to live a godly life full of joy and peace and purpose. But life is only good when it's found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for this passage in Hebrews and for the reminder that it brings to us of how you are so much better in everything that you came to do, God. As a high priest and a mediator, you came and served in the heavenlies. You went to the Holy of Holies where God was, and you made a sacrifice on our behalf by giving your life for us, God, showing us that you are better than anything, God, and the joy and the peace and the purpose that you bring to us is far better than anything that this world can offer to us, God, and the great reality of it all is that you are coming back again. For those who you have called, you are coming back, you are returning, not to make a sacrifice for again, not to forgive again, but to save and to bring about a finality to our salvation experience, God. We long for that. We are excited for that god we ask that you would stir our hearts and our affections for you to be longing for your appearing again god we thank you so much for the relationship that you offer to us with yourself through jesus christ god it is a great privilege of ours to have that because so much was sacrificed in order for that reality to be true And God, we are a blessed people because of it and because of your work. And so we ask that you would change us and stir our hearts towards you this morning to see that you are better. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.